0: Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. You guys, I'm so excited for you to hear from my friend, Brittany, who is on the podcast today. Brittany, welcome. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. Girl, I love that we met on Instagram. You're like the fifth person I've interviewed that I haven't met in real life, but I know through Instagram. And I'm like, y'all, internet friends are real. This is real. Yes. Yes. Instagram love stories are, are a real thing. I love it. Um, I think we met because you were fostering your now adopted son at the time. Is that right? Yes. That's, yep. That's exactly how we connected. And it just grew from there. Yeah. I love it. I am curious why you became a foster parent.
1: When I was a kid, I was in many different foster homes before I made it to my adoptive home and so many of them were very abusive and very hard situations that when when my brothers and I made it to our adoptive home, um, our adoptive parents were so great that we instantly felt loved and connected and I just wanted to make sure that one day I could give that to someone else.
0: So here I am. I love that redemption. I mean, my story is not the same as yours, but for the first time this month I opened up about the deeper part of my why, which was an incident that happened when I was 7 and a whole like brief incident with foster care. And it's like God used that catastrophe to be my life's calling, to to be the catalyst for that calling. And it sounds very similar for you. It's like you've experienced this, how could you not then do, you know, provide for another child in need and family? So, how Absolutely. many I don't want to dig too much into your childhood, um, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Can we just, can I just ask why you came into care? Because I think that a lot of people live such, um, privileged, sheltered lives that they can't fathom why someone's children would be taken away. Like if they feel so far removed from that. So would you open up just a little bit as much as you're comfortable about why you even needed to be in the foster care system?
1: Absolutely. Both of my parents were addicts. And by the time they found us, there was so much trash in our home that they had to kind of wade through to to pick us out of the home. And both of my parents were under the influence. um, And it was just a long, a long process that nobody knew that we were being so neglected. And finally, when they, when they made it to us, it was, there was no question that they needed to remove us.
0: Yeah. So you guys went into a foster home together or were you separated from the get-go? Together. Okay. Were you in all of the different homes together or did you end up getting separated throughout your journey through the system?
1: My little brother and I were always together. My older brother did get separated from us throughout our journey, but we all ended up back together in our adoptive home, which is
0: amazing. So beautiful. So I'm guessing that you have a great relationship with your parents who adopted you.
1: It's complicated. I have a great relationship with my dad and I'm doing some repair work on the relationship with my mom, but for the most part, it's good.
0: And what about your birth parents? Do you have any
1: relationship with them? I do not. Um, My birth mother passed away a few years ago Mm -hmm. and my birth father, I'm just not in the position to desire to have a relationship with him. That's fair.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry that that was your experience. And I love that it made you the strong, amazing woman you are today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So let's fast forward now to you became a foster parent. How many kiddos did you foster? We have fostered six kids. And were they all able to reunify before before Donovan, who who is now your adopted son? So most of them, actually, I guess now that I think about it, only
1: one reunified. Um, the rest went to relatives or
0: other people. Which is great when that can happen for sure. Sure, yeah. How has your experience been like, has it triggered your own trauma, having these kids in your care? I actually get that
1: question a lot. And more than anything, it's been really healing because when I get to walk through again, I can see it from an adult's perspective now. And I'm able to kind of go back to my inner child and offer her some healing that I didn't know how to do when I was a child,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Spoken like someone who's either been in therapy or who's still in therapy. (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) Yes. My husband and I go to counseling proactively for our marriage. And I've done a number of sessions with individual counselors throughout the years. And man, I can't recommend therapy enough for everyone. Honestly, I don't even care if you had a traumatic childhood or not. I'm like, everyone needs therapy.
1: Everybody does. I just, I wish I could just pass out cards that say, because a lot of people I feel like feel embarrassed to be in therapy, but I'm like, you know what? Therapy
0: is cool. Spread the word. Yeah. Seriously. I love that. So obviously then you get your son and you're fostering him was, were the, if you don't mind me asking, were parental rights terminated right when you got him? So you knew it was on track for adoption or did that happen? Like, months or years into the case. We knew pretty soon
1: that he was not going to be able to reunify. um, But we didn't. It was a long road to get to the termination.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As it usually is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yes. hard. Adoption is both beautiful and broken and we have to hold space for both and live in that tension. But your son is clearly so well cared for and loved. And I am so happy every time I see his little face online. Um, Thank cause you do you. A good, you do a really good job of protecting him and his story. I really think that. So well done. Thank you. That means so much to me. Thank you. And what, and on that note, what like advice would you give someone who's fostering and their case is turning into a foster to adopt case and they're excited about it and they want to tell the world, like what advice do you give them? Be excited about
1: it and tell the world, but don't celebrate the actual termination because that's not a celebration. And even though you might be tempted to want to share their story, it's really their story. And just keep that in mind, ask yourself the question, what would I want if my kid was a teenager reading this post? What would I be okay with them seeing? That's what I always ask myself. So I think be excited, but also just remember that brokenness. Like you said, there's a lot of brokenness in adoption. And I think you need to really channel into Um, the grieving process as well. And just kind of let those two work
0: together. Yeah. It's beautiful advice. And I've had to learn that as a foster parent, regardless of adoption, what's mine to share, what's not mine to share, what are my kids going to look back and be like, oh, she shared that. And there have been times where I have to delete things. There have been times where I've publicly apologized and kind of just confessed and lamented my own mistakes. And it's kind of nice having older kids or like, you know, one of our kiddos who's 14, like he is my Facebook friend. He's my Instagram friend. So that makes it really easy because I'm like, I, he, he likes everything I post. He reads everything. So we openly talk about that, but it can be so awkward. I love your advice. Yes.
1: Yes. And I think that my first year of being a foster parent, I was a complete idiot. I just look back on my, I've had to archive so many posts because I'm like, why were you sharing that? That is not not your place to share. So I definitely have grown a lot in this, in this topic.
0: I'm, I'm the same way. And you know, what's, what's actually kind of annoying to me though, is people that throw that up in my face after I've already publicly like apologized and lamented and done better. Now, again, I don't get it right all the time. I'm never going to be perfect about it. I'll probably look back and still find things today that I'm not doing the way that I should or wish, you know, and the only other option is to never post anything on the internet. And while some people choose that, that's great for them. I have always lived my life very openly and publicly. And despite making mistakes along the way, I see so much fruit come from sharing. Like I see people get to become a foster parent because of what I've shared. And like, that is so cool and so humbling. So it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to get off the internet just because I make mistakes. I'd rather just make mistakes, embarrass myself and get over it. Um I totally agree. But I saw someone post something one time that was like it said something like you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to transform. You're allowed to speak out against the things that you used to get wrong or something like that. And I was like, yes. Like I feel sometimes judged by people that make comments in my DMs or whatever, or email me and say like, look at you talking like you're so woke. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not trying to talk like I'm so woke. I've just learned a lot. And now I'm doing better. And if we know better, we can do better. And I want other people to know better too. So, yes. And you know
1: what, it's so what they don't understand is we're being the guinea pig here. So we get to go back and say, Hey, this isn't a great idea, but you know, what I've learned from it is this. And I totally agree with you.
0: Yeah. I just wish overall though that we had more grace for people on the internet and and I even tell myself like when I find out that someone I know unfollows me, you know, you can take that so personally sometimes. But I'm often like, "Wait a minute. They're unfollowing a perception of me. They're not unfollowing me. They're unfollowing a okay, perception girl. of me." I'm like, "Okay, girl." <laughs> when I reframe that, I'm like, Yeah. Like they only know 2% of my life. They're only getting so much of what I put out there. And it's through this lens that we're all trying imperfectly to be authentic through. And so it's like, I feel like that's helped me to be like, Oh, this is just their perception of me. It's not about me. Absolutely. Yes. And their opinion of us is none of our business. Who said that? Someone said that maybe Rachel
1: Hollis said it, but it's true. It's so true.
0: Yeah, it's so true. So okay, we just went down a rabbit hole about people on the internet and trolls, but you know what? <laughs> Solidarity. What advice would you give anyone who's experienced any type of abuse? And and before you answer the question really, feel free and and feel feel free to like bypass this, but What type, I know that your parents were addicts and that there was abuse and neglect in the home, but if if you, as comfortable as you are sharing any bit of the abuse you endured and how it actually had lasting effects on you as an adult, how it still impacts you as an adult, along with advice you would give for people, that was a lot. (laughs) That was a mouthful. Take take it where you want.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know what, what door you just opened, but here we go. All all the doors, all the doors are open. (laughs) Um, you know, there's, there's so many different types of abuse happening in my life between the physical, the sexual, the emotional, um, by the time I understood what was happening, I was really, really broken. And when you're, when you're neglected as a child, you don't understand how, I think people don't think through how much that can affect your relationships as an adult. And I had a lot of attachment issues because I'd never learned how to properly connect with someone when I was a child. So a lot of my relationships struggled because I didn't know how to connect with someone. And definitely, I think the most lasting trauma for me personally was the sexual trauma. And I still deal with that every single day. So I just think that it doesn't matter how early you get out. If you're in a traumatic situation, you can get as far away from the trauma as you think you can get, but your body will not forget. And that is just the craziest part of me. Like even to this day, I will just have triggers that will just send me into a spiral. And I just think that people need to keep that in mind is that trauma, trauma is not something that just all of a sudden you wake up and you're just better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good reminder for the kiddos that are in our care. Cause sometimes I can think to myself, they've had a stable, loving Wonderful environment for the last twelve months, and we're still having you know x, y, or z issues. but it's like, gosh, i I love what our son's therapist, our oldest son's therapist, she one time drew me a pie chart of all of of his entire life of fourteen years, broken down into months. and then she shaded the twelve months that he was with us, and out of all the months of his whatever fourteen times twelve is because I can't do that kind of math um <laughs> You know, it showed while 12 months can feel like such a long time, 12 months was such a minuscule amount of time of his life. And she's like, until you get all the way around this pie chart, like until we, until he's had 14 years of stability and love, like you're, you're going to experience these things. And even beyond that, there's going to be lasting repercussions of the, of these traumas. And so I feel like that really shifted my perspective, uh, because I didn't endure that kind of stuff as a child. And so I started to lack patience and empathy. I was just like, what the heck we're doing everything right. We're seeing no progress. And it's like, that's not how trauma works. And so I think, I mean, we try to continue our trauma-informed trainings and attend everything we can and listen to every podcast. And sometimes I'm still just at a loss for words and I don't know what to do. That's part of this. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So I've, particularly been really grateful for what you've shared on Instagram, because I saw you post some dilators on your stories one time. And my first instinct was she has the same issue as me. And what people have never known is that I went through physical therapy Down there for my sex life. And it had nothing to do with sexual abuse, which is particularly why I never shared about it, because I just thought that would be the assumption. But there's a lot of medical reasons people sometimes need help with um being able to enjoy sex if we're if we're just blunt, like being able to enjoy sexual intercourse. And so when you posted that picture, obviously my first reaction was like, oh my gosh, I don't feel alone anymore. My next reaction was. I wonder if she has the same issues that I have. And then you went on to post a little more of your story. So I realize now we have had similarities, but for very different reasons. And yours has been due to the sexual abuse you endured. Would you mind opening up a little bit about how your sexual abuse in the past has really impacted your sex life today?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I would. Um, When I was a teenager, I remember this started a very long time ago, but for the sake of your episode, uh, when I was a teenager, my sister, I remember my sister telling me that I needed to switch to tampons because it was going to change my life and I wanted to change my life. So I'm like, I'll, I'll try a tampon. And she was standing outside the bathroom door cheering me on. And I remember exactly what I said. I said, I don't think I have a hole for this to go in. That's exactly what I said. And she's like, yes, you do. You need to relax. You need to just relax. And and I, it never worked. So I didn't worry about it because it's not like I was sexually active. So I just put it, I was like, I'm going to wear a pad. I put it in the back of my mind. And when I got serious with Justin and I knew we were going to be getting married, something in the back of my mind said, you know what you're going to have to do in your honeymoon. So you might want to get this worked out. So I started my journey with gynecologists and they all told me this is in your head, have a glass of wine, relax. You're going to be fine. So I went on our honeymoon and (laughs) nothing happened, nothing because it literally felt like hitting a brick wall. And, um, after we got back, I just remember feeling so disappointed and sad because we didn't get the honeymoon that we were supposed to get. I mean, we had a lot of fun, don't get me wrong. Like, there were some hot makeup sessions. I was, but... about
0: to, I, was, I was about to say, there are plenty of ways to have fun outside of intercourse. Anyway, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's true. So, yes, write that down, people. That's
1: very important to keep in mind. Um, but I was so heartbroken because I felt like this part this huge part that I waited for wasn't able to happen and Justin was just that people get so shocked when I tell him this because Justin could like he didn't care he was like I have waited this long like I will wait for you and he was just so relaxed about it he never one time pressured me and that kind of made me feel more comfortable to go ahead and try to want to figure out what was going on. And so I remember the first gynecologist I went to after we we got married, because gynecology going to the gynecologist was so traumatic for me that nobody could look at me. So I finally said, this time I talked myself into having the exam. And I didn't have the exam. She literally got a Q tip out and I started screaming and I was crying and I remember her saying to me, Someone must have done a number on you. I haven't even touched you yet. And this is how you're acting. And it made me so angry. I thought I was angry at her, but I got in the car and I called my best friend at the time. And the gynecologist had told me that I should probably be in therapy. And I was like, Oh, who does she think she is? How dare she? And I got in the car and I called my best friend and I said, And I remember this was the moment that changed everything for me. I said, I do not want to admit the fact that my father, my brother, and two foster brothers who all sexually abused me when I was a child, I do not want to give them power to say, this is why I can't have sex with my husband. And my best friend at the time said, I think that you admitting that right now is taking all of their power away. Mm -hmm. And that started the process for me to say, you know what, you are right. And I, and I deserve this healing. And I said, all right, fine. They, that is why I'm not able to have sex with my husband, but you know what, that's the last ounce of power that they get from me. And I went to see my final gynecologist and I begged her to let me have my exam under, um, under anesthesia. And she And i was like, I know it sounds crazy, but this is just what I want to do. And she said, okay. And this is the first gynecologist that had ever, I had probably seen six gynecologists at this point. And she, and she quick, very quickly said, okay, that's fine for me. So we made an appointment and she told me, um, when I came out, she told me that she wanted to diagnose me with uh, what was called vaginismus. And I don't know if that's what you have. Is it what you have? It is not what I have, but I know about it. Okay. Okay. So she diagnosed me to this day and basically how she described it was that even under, even completely out, the muscles in my vaginal walls were closing and and having spasms so tightly that she couldn't even barely do the exam. So what she wanted to do for me and my hymen was still intact. So what she wanted to do for me was to, um, she needed to, surgically removed my hymen and she needed to kind of cut away some of my vagina because it was so small. And so I had the surgery and the process, the healing process was hell on earth. I literally laid in bed for three weeks and it was just miserable. And when I finally went to my last appointment with her, my husband had just gotten a he had just gotten a new job offer and she handed me paperwork to do my physical therapy. And the first person on the list was a physical therapist in Boston, Massachusetts. And that's where Justin had just gotten his new job offer at. And I was like, you've got like the it was so like all of these worlds were colliding for us. And I'm just like, I knew at that point there was there was no more excuses. It was just I was doing this thing. So when we finally moved to Massachusetts. I called the physical therapist. She was, she's the sweetest person you'll ever meet in our life. And I hung up the phone on her because I was, I was like, I can't do this. I changed my mind. Well, she had caller ID and she called me back and she was like, I, listen, I know you're nervous, but I just want to, I just want to introduce myself. And we ended up having a, um, she, she ended up coaxing me into going and meeting her. And so I did that. And on her wall were hundreds of pictures of women with babies and their husbands. And and I'll never forget, I said, what is this wall? Can you tell me about this wall? And she said, oh, this is my success rate. And I said, what is your success rate? And she said, 100%. And I was like, that's pretty cocky. <laughs> like, how could you say that? 100%, I don't think you've met me yet. And the best feeling in the world is a year later, I sent my own card in and uh, I got to be on that wall and it was just one of the best moments of my life. So fast forward to the crazy physical therapy and her, you know, using those dilators to open my vagina and to just get used to having something there. Um, and t- she taught me how to relax my pelvic floor muscles, so that way I could, I could get ready for intercourse. So she did that. We started off with a pinky, and then we moved to a very small dilator. We moved on up until we made it to the size that matched Justin. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's a very weird thing to talk about, but um, it was really incredible. And then the first time that we ended up, so. When we got to the right size, I was using numbing cream because I still wasn't comfortable like I'm still having to learn to relax my pelvic floor muscles and and the only way I can describe it is like if you if you like tighten your your butt just tight if you tighten it right now, that is how I lived my life from the age of four. To 22, so I literally had to learn how to relax all of my pelvic floor muscles, my leg muscles, everything, because I was literally. And I remember going to get a massage before this process, and someone saying to me, "Why are your legs so
0: strong?" And I have no doubt that that's why, because they were they were flexed at all times. And for people who for people who aren't following, I'm just gonna call it, bring it into the light. You were a little girl who had been sexually abused. And naturally out of protecting and kind of your body's defense, you clench up and you don't stop clenching. Exactly. Yeah. Ever, ever. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yep. Brutal. Yes. So
1: months and months of therapy and she would insert this little machine into my vagina so I could see on the computer screen my body flexing and I could see when I stopped flexing and it was very hard work because I was so used to flexing all the time when I stopped flexing I could see the line get straighter and that's what I was trying to go for so I could end up having intercourse one day. So the first time that we ended, I got to the right, to the right size of dilators. And she's like, I want you to go home and have sex with your husband. I was like, are you serious? Do you really want me to try this? Anyway, I wish I could tell you it was like so magical, but I was so (laughs) numbed up from medication because I just wanted to just do it. Um, but it was very, it was very intimate. It wasn't like some crazy, sex session, yes. but, um, it was, it was very intimate and, and, well, I and think it's,
0: that's... it's intimate too, because Justin had waited for you and had been so patient through this process and had been so understanding. And that is love. Like absolutely I'm all for the hot and heavy stuff, but what's love is not being able to relax and your husband not getting mad at you or just trying to force you. Because I I hear of women who are married and I'm still like, hey, that's still rape. Like if it's not, if it's against your will, that's not okay. Married or not. Um, And I know there are people that will disagree with me crazy enough. Those people probably don't listen to this podcast. But anyways, (laughs) I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just think it's so beautiful and intimate because of him And the way he honored you so well and loved you so well through this too. Absolutely.
1: And I totally agree with you. I feel like people forget that having hot sex is so easy, but intimacy is hard because when you're truly intimate with someone, you really say, Hey, here's a piece of my heart. I trust you with it. And that's the difference.
0: Yeah. That's why for me, sex has never been able to be just sex and I'm probably going to have someone on the podcast who, you know, cause this is a longer table and I want to have conversations with people who aren't like me or who do disagree with me. But sex for me has never been just this physical thing that I can, I can just do. And that's why when it has been that way throughout my background, like before I married E with the people that I had sex with, that I regret, like that's why it hurts so bad was because it was so like not truly intimate. And then I just felt so used and so awful afterwards. Anyways, I'm going down a tangent, but no, absolutely. It's so true. Yeah. Gosh, I am truly thankful for your willingness to be open about all this. Um, I know we could go even deeper and I'm sure people after hearing this <laughs> episode are going to be like, bring her back, which we can just, <laughs> we can just have another meal together at our table. That would be so fun. But I, uh, I want to give you a chance. Any last words? This could be, you can take this in any direction you'd like. It could be words of wisdom for adoptive parents. It could be words of wisdom about abuse. It could be anything at all. I just want you to have a chance um, to share any final thoughts at the table. The
1: pressure is on. <laughs> um, you know, I think wrapping up, since we're, we really dove into the sexual side of things, is I just, what I want people to know is for a really long time, I believed that I was broken, you know, as a woman and as a human but I wasn't. Emotionally, I was shattered, but I really made that promise to myself that I was going to pick up the pieces one by one and hot glue myself back together. And didn't even matter how many shards of glass I got in my hand while I did it. I just believed that I deserved healing. And if that's, that's what I want to leave with, with your audience is that you ladies and men because men have been sexually abused too, you are so worthy of healing and the best investment you can make is the one you make in yourself and you deserve this. So start today.
0: That's what I want to say. Amen. I love that snaps for you. I don't know if people can hear me snapping over here, but (laughs) I love that. And before, before we totally wrap up, I want to also mention, you said, I love, I loved when you heard the story of you saying out loud to your best friend after that gynecologist appointment, you know, these different men in my life took advantage of me. They abused me And, and say how saying that out loud, it actually made it lose its power over you. Yes. I am always saying, so this, this is where it applies really. If you have no experience, which I pray you don't with sexual abuse in your life, this still applies to you because anything that has a hold on you, anything you wish that you could keep secret, anything you're ashamed of, anything you're tempted by, it will lose its power. If you talk about it with another human being, the right human beings, the trusted ones, the counselors, the, the people that have relational equity in your life. I'm not saying to go and share your deepest, darkest secrets with just anyone, but by speaking these things aloud, they lose their power. So Brittany, it is such a joy to chat with you. We'll have to do a part two until next time. Thank you so much for being on a longer table. Amanda,
1: it's an honor. I am so honored to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to listen to
0: your